Really excited to have uh, the team from Odyssey here: Paul, um, Jenna Weiss, uh, Berman, Mike D, JD Crowley. You know, Paul. Uh, you know, I, I think what makes the most sense is that there's been a pretty big change in this company uh, from the standpoint of you rebranded. You know, this was I think most people know this company is Entercom. You bought the CBS Radio assets years ago, uh, but this there's been a, a real strategic evolution of, of how this company has evolved over the course of the last several years. And a lot of it's been driven through acquisition and investment in sort of the future of audio. Could you just maybe spend a minute and walk us through sort of what you've been, like why this transition has happened and why the name change or the brand, and more than just a name change, why the brand and sort of the future direction, why was that so important to get done? Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you, Lightshed, for hosting us. We're really excited to spend some time with you, uh, with your audience. So this this transformation, the brand change that happened on March 30th, that was the culmination of the last several years of a very purposeful and methodical transformation that the company had been going through. And it's exactly as you describe it, Rich. There have been there's been organic growth, there's been a lot of very strategic investments, there have been some really great acquisitions. Starting with CBS Radio, um, the launch of radio.com under JD and his team making some really smart acquisitions in the podcasting space with Jenna's firm, Pineapple Street Studios, Cadence 13. Most recently, we acquired Podcorn, which is a really, really interesting uh, business and online marketplace. Uh, The same thing in the sports world with the acquisition of BetQL and some great partnerships there that Mike D will get into. And what we found is we've been going through this last year was that who we become, where we were going, the name Entercom, which had a lot of positive equity in the marketplace, but legacy association with uh, a broadcast radio business that we're still very much in and is still very much in our DNA, but it didn't necessarily represent the holistic offering, the multi-platform across broadcast, across digital, the stream, in podcasting, in live events when they come back. And so we took that moment, the leadership team took that moment to reevaluate where we were and where we were going. And we went through this, this process and we, we went through this creative, this strategic process to come up with that master brand strategy that could encompass all of the value that we delivered uh, and where we were going. And this was really driven by that strategic evolution and also being able to make sure that for our listeners out there, we were able to provide an audio home for them and make sure that they knew that they could find us on air, online, podcasts, and events. And all of this content, all of these personalities, all of these experiences were coming from one brand. And then the same thing on the advertiser side and the partner side. We wanted to make sure that our advertisers and partners knew the strength and breadth and depth of this platform and were able to buy us more efficiently, buy us more strategically, and use us as, as their audio solution on behalf of the brands they were representing. So that was that's what drove it. And the name Odyssey, uh, the genesis of the name Odyssey, it was a process. We started with about 3,000 names and, and came down through a process of legal and strategic elimination. Um, you know, it's not easy branding a new name. I will tell you, you know, every name on the planet is taken. Uh, the pharmaceutical industry is the, the perfect example of that. You, that's why the names are so ridiculous in the pharmaceutical industry. And they're this made is up why we're names. called Light Shed. Yeah, we yeah, have well, the same. We have the same challenge looking for names and finding getting the domain name. There's some dude in I think Alabama that's like yep. we, he won't even respond to our request. To get a name. <laughs> well, again, yeah, and so it's you got to get the URLs and you've got to get the social hands and you know the consumer side and the B two B side. And when we got to Odyssey and it all lined up and it just it just made so much sense and it went from there. So a great process and we're still continuing to refine and grow. And but this is our platform and our our the the rocket fuel for our for our next evolution of growth. Who, who gets the street cred for Odyssey? Like who who was the actual person? Was it was this JD smiling over there or like I 
Who, who, who figured this out? I, I wanted Lightshed, but somebody had already taken it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Lightshed.au is still available or one of those. <laughs> Lightshed.au. <laughs> right. When you think about, well, you know, we worked, we worked with a great branding firm, part of the WPP family. I think the name was part of the process that they went through. I will tell you this, and I don't know how it was when you were thinking about Lightshed. You have to separate yourself. You're not naming your kid. You're not naming your pet. You're not naming your plant. You're naming a business. So you have to take a bit of a rational approach and think about those audiences. How will this land with listeners? How will this land with advertisers? How will this, what will this signal to the investment community? And when we went through that, you know, just Odyssey clicked all those buttons for us. Um, so, Paul, you mentioned um, a whole bunch of pieces that you've accumulated as part of Odyssey. Can you talk about how they fit together, what the synergies are between the different pieces, and maybe give some examples? I will, and then uh, JD, Mike, you you all jump in. So, as we said, the the portfolio, you know, we use this with the term multi-platform to describe the portfolio. Is we have we have our broadcast business, and that is a very powerful business for us still. Uh, we are in the very best markets with the very best market-facing brands. And the advantage that we deliver there is we are so connected to these communities. We're so connected to our listeners. The personalities, the shows, the content are very well connected in right there. All of that content is delivered across the app and on, uh, online. And of course, we have our affiliate stations on there delivering this really big experience on the, on the Odyssey app and on, on the Odyssey websites. Um, and then we have our podcasting business, which is also accessed across that digital platform and across other audio platforms as well. So it really is this, for lack of a better word, audio universe working together. And, and the idea is that we're not necessarily in the market now just selling assets, we're selling audience, right? If you want Brandon, you can come and find Brandon of our 170 million listeners who connect with us month after month after month. You can find Brandon's in New York, in LA, Chicago, smaller markets. And we're able to bring Brandon a, a broad content experience on air, online, um, and over our, and through our podcast. So what do you type in? About to get married and there's a huge fish fan and that's how you target Brandon? <laughs> also not the best snowmobile driver. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Digs orange. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Digs orange. Um, yeah, I like fish too. JD, what do I, what you, you may want to add something to that. Uh, you hit it pretty well, Paul. I mean, you know, well, I was just going to hit JD with, with, um, a question about what was, I guess, radio.com. And I guess is now the Odyssey app. I mean, I've, I'm a user, as you can see, Angelo Cataldi. I'm a huge fan. I'm actually getting his feeds via podcast. I've got a lot of feedback on how you can splice that content up better, but on, on the, on the app itself, um, like why are people going there versus a Spotify, Pandora, or iHeart app? Like where where is that position in the market? And how does the the kind of transition to Odyssey, how do you hope that that will change? If if you yeah. Go? yeah, sure. You know, so so I mean the first and foremost is when you want to listen to our station streaming, and as Paul said, we've got 250 stations in the top 50 markets, basically. We're we're a big brand, big market company. Um, the Odyssey app is the only place that you can get those. Of course, we also have our partnerships with Amazon and Roku and Google and Apple and the rest, but they all come through the Odyssey platform. And uh, when I joined the company, we had our streams kind of everywhere, same way that Disney had licensed their content everywhere. And one of the first strategic moves that we made was to pull our stations off of all of these third-party apps and in-house them in our own platform. But, you know, Walt, it's great that you love IP and are a huge Angelo fan and Brandon loves FAN. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of other audience out there, obviously, that we can go get beyond our stations. And so the next phase was bringing on other broadcasters. Some are exclusive, some are non-exclusive, um, some will become exclusive. Uh, but ultimately, we've got now over a thousand stations in over a hundred cities. And then, of course, adding podcasts. So we've got the full podcast library. Um, you may have seen we did a, a, a deal with uh, Irving Azos GMR um, uh, that we announced a couple of weeks ago. So there'll be more coming and kind of interactive and on-demand music. But it's not just enough to throw the stations on there and hope that people enjoy listening live. So last year, we launched what was the first DVR for broadcast, local broadcast radio, Rewind yep. product. We got a couple of patents around that, and it brought that to some other broadcasters. We want to make audio as easy to listen to, whether it comes from a podcast, whether it comes from radio, whether it comes from uh, Angelo or somebody on one of the stations going live in a sort of live digital media that's not 
fitting in the podcast or radio bucket. I think these buckets have probably held us back for the past decade. And our point is any talent should be able to go live or on demand at any point, hear it in the app, hear it on smart speakers, hear it on connected devices. And we bring that either to advertisers or eventually potentially bring it directly to listeners in a sort of listener monetized way. And that DVR functionality was a great addition for me because, you know, if I can go back during the course of the day to the start of Angelo's show and um, have you seen usage the usage of the people uh, or their consumers on the app changed since you've launched that that DVR functionality? Absolutely. It drove a ton of growth for us last year. Um, there was organic growth as people in the pandemic wanted to listen to these streams on their app or on their desktop at home or on smart speakers. But there was a significant amount of lift on the web and on the app with the rewind functionality. What's different than kind of a traditional TiVo or MVPD DVR is we record everything cloud side, we make it available for 24 hours, uh, Walt, you and others have said we should expand that window. We may do that at some point too. So you can, you know, interact with the live programming, but also, as you said, go back. And then we repackage that ad inventory as sort of supplemental windows. Podcast buyers are now able to buy this broadcast on demand listening. And our producers don't need to go in and create a bunch of different shows and, and, and distribute them widely. It's available instantly for consumers. It's only on about 20% of our stations because we started with our sports and news footprint. And obviously, we have a lot of big music stations, K-Rock in LA, XRT in Chicago, CBS FM in New York. And so you, we're working on other opportunities for music. Um, you don't just rewind a music station, obviously, maybe a big morning show. But we're starting to think about what is interactivity when you're listening to a music station? How can we blend functionality that you hear in a digital app with the sort of live and community feature of radio? I just so wish more, you more would to come the- there. I just wish you would drop the entire show into my podcast. Like I'm, you know, I use Castro, other people use yep. Apple or whatever. Um, you're giving me snippets, which are good. And the ad load, by the way, has improved immensely in the past year in terms of the types of ads and how it's delivered at the front and the end. Um, but like, why not just drop the entire episode into my podcast and you can still throw ad load in there? Um, different shows have different processes and different shows have different listener uh behaviors right and so we're kind of learning as we go from the data some shows we do release full hours some shows we release the full show some shows we only release clips obviously the show is available in the in the rewind load incomplete but uh but more more to come to your point on advertisers we're now for a lot of advertisers who want to come into audio who are pulling money out of say TV and going to connected TV and streaming audio, um, they want to buy holistically across the stream, across the podcast, across the rewind window, maybe even when we you know stream those shows on Twitch, which we do with a lot of them, have a great partnership with Twitch for our sports shows. They want to buy that holistically at an audience targeted level. And so that's the other thing we've spent a lot of time doing in the last year is bundling that audience so that it can be a single buy that runs across streaming, podcasting, on-demand video, et cetera. Before we move on to Jenna, because I want to get into podcasting in a second, could I just follow up, JD, when you talked about sort of the potential interactivity or sort of you're still envisioning what that looks like, what are the types of things like, you know, even if they don't exist today or you don't even, may not even roll them up, like what, what are you even trying to imply in terms of like what you could do interactivity wise? Yeah. So, so what's so great about a music radio station, particularly the big ones that we run, they're not just spinning records, right? There are personalities. Sometimes they talk a lot especially in the morning and people feel like those are those are actually shows those are spoken word content that happen to have music in the middle of them and how you would treat a replay or time shifted window in a show like that's a little bit different in fact some of our morning shows are almost like late night shows and so the bits that are done in those shows are very much how a kimmel or colbert would distribute some of those bits so we're trying to think about what's the listener experience there that you know there's a lot of ways to go that way in the middle of the day, it's more uninterrupted listening, but the the, the DJ's still in, there's still callers in, there's imaging in. You feel like you're part of something that is live and that is bigger than yourself. That's a different experience than I want to go for a run and I want to hear some music at a certain BPM, right? And so I think there's kind of three types of experiences. There's the, I want to listen to a live or it feels like it's live community experience. Um, maybe I don't like this song or maybe I don't love that artist, but I don't want to change the station. Uh, I also think we have a lot of opportunity to play with ad loads in a streaming window. We've done that in spoken word. I'd like to do that more in music, just given that we're able to monetize these streams at a really healthy rate. And I don't have Nielsen clock measurement on the stream, so I can be more flexible. Um, and then, you know, obviously for the folks who want to put their headphones in and go for a run or a bike or, or you know, do work or whatever, that's a different experience with less, more interactivity and less community. So probably three different buckets that we're working on. So just um, I, I just want to follow up or shift a little bit to Jenna 
on the podcast topic, I think, you know, look, I'm by my background, I'm a super fan of podcasting. I love, um, you know, I think ever since Brandon forced me to watch Serial uh, and got me. Listen to listen to listen to sorry, listen to (laughs) ever since Brandon forced me to listen to, to Serial. I've been a bigger and bigger addict of the format. Uh, but you know you've been in this from pretty early on and you're a creator and you understand this business maybe just a big broad question because i think a lot of people sort of wonder like what makes a good podcast and how do you determine who to bring onto the platform because you don't just make podcasts like the fugitive you also host a lot for other people and work with a lot of big companies like hbo and netflix like how do you determine like what is you know quality enough to be on the platform or or you know do you let your partners determine that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I mean, I think that we've always seen a big part of our role at Pineapple is really as really sitting in for an audience. Um, and whether we're working with brands or, you know, making original series that we've found, um, I think like when I think about it, I think there are over a million podcasts, you know, now in the world. And so we have to always be thinking about like what is going to take somebody who's listening to a podcast and, you know, get them to maybe stop listening to that one and listen to ours instead, Um, which is a really major challenge. You know, all the kind of, a lot of the data that we look at suggests that, um, that, you know, people even like super fans of podcasts, maybe listen to four to five shows a week. So we're, we're always sort of thinking about like, how do we become one of those four to five shows? Um, And I, I mean, I think, you know, it's a little cheesy to say, but um, you know, really great stories are what we're always looking for and really unique stories. I think um, one thing I think about a lot with podcasting is that there are still so many audiences who don't necessarily have content being made for them. Um, Even for example, you know, there are some great kids shows now, but like I have a four-year-old and so I'm always thinking about like, what can I make that my four-year-old would really love? Um, it's still, you know, it's still new in that way. And so I think a huge part of it for us is really thinking about, about finding new audiences and making content for new audiences um, that is exciting, interesting, engaging. So like I said, you know, if, if we're working with a brand and they have an idea and we think maybe it's a, you know, that's the start of a good idea, um, but we want to think about what would actually bring an audience in, whether it's a brand or, you know, anyone else, um, we work really hard to kind of, uh, I think we work kind of like a creative creative agency when we're working with brands to think about like, what is something that that some that a listener would actually want to listen to that doesn't necessarily just accomplish what you need to accomplish internally, but accomplishes something externally that gets people excited and moves them to, you know, moves their ears to you. And, and what's the benefit to, I'm sorry, I just, I want to just dig into this yeah. partner or the partner strategy of like, when you have a Lovecraft country, uh, or a stay tuned with pre. I think I think stay tuned is actually in the process of being sold. If the media reports are yeah, right, but like, we're happy for them. It's great. No, 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 but 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 I guess this is where I'm going. Yeah, you know, the you're putting these people on the platform. They're getting more valuable. Do you try to take ownership stakes in everybody that's on your platform? Like, what's the balance between helping others as a third party versus owning and having discrete economic ownership of of the things that are on the the Odyssey platform or you know broadly defined? Yeah, I mean, for us, we've always really um, done, you know, a combination of those things. And I think a lot of it for us is looking at different potential revenue streams in podcasting. Like when we started out, we weren't thinking like, oh, we'll have all these series that are then turned into TV and film, you know, like that's a huge new revenue stream that's really exciting, that kind of um, Hollywood pipeline that we weren't necessarily thinking about five years ago when we started out. So, um, I mean, pineapple, we didn't take investment. And so a lot of what we were doing was stuff that would, you know, fund the originals that we were trying to make. Um, and we've always, I mean, there's not a great answer beyond like, we like working with partners. Like Preet is really, was really fun and great to work with. We were excited to be a part of that. You know, we were working with, the New York times before they had their own audio department. And we were having a lot of fun making the show still processing over there. So for us, it's always really been, um, been this combination. And, and like I said, a lot of that is it's revenue stream. So it's, you know, we can have the originals that are 
have that have the, you know, the ad dollars and the derivatives, and then we can have the stuff that is, um, you know, production for hire that is fun for us. And we're working with exciting brands. And, um, and so that combo has just, it's always worked for us and been fun for us. And um, I think, you know, being a part of Odyssey has obviously allowed us to make a lot more, you know, originals, which is really what we're super excited about. Um, but we're, we love working with brands and I think we'll continue to do it for sure. Yeah, Rich, when, when, when we got to meet Max and Jenna and decided to do a deal with them, uh, other than being so stoked to bring them onto the platform and into the company, one of our whole goals together, the three of us, was to make more original content, right? And so to your earlier question about how do you decide to do a project or not do a project, Jenna and Max's team now really do projects that they want to do, that are going to win awards, that are going to be big shows, that are going to deepen our relationships with partners, where we may have other right, you know, derivative business and things like that. And, and then at the same time, we're investing and in growing the original pipeline. I think we've said publicly last year, we did about 11 originals between the Cadence and Pineapple team. We're going to do almost two dozen this year and, and maybe even more in addition to the partner work and the influencer work. So we definitely want more original content. Um, that other business is great, but, but those relationships are really important too. You brought up um, brands and advertisers now a couple of times. Can you talk a little bit about what brands and advertisers want out of podcasting, especially given the, the lack of data um, that's available to them? How do they think about creating content that fits with their brands? And how do they think about um, advertising um, on podcasts? Jenna, I'll, why don't I, I start on the data piece and then... And then you pick up the creative piece because I think y'all do some of the most effective advertising that frankly doesn't sound like advertising at all. So I think, Brandon, on, on the podcast ads, the sort of lack of measurement, and you guys are longer and more invested in podcasts than I think anybody we know, but but the the there is a mis misconception that, that there isn't any data in podcasting. One of the things that one of the reasons we know podcasting works fundamentally is because the business for the first decade was built off of the back of direct, direct response advertisers. They knew they were selling product. They kept buying the shows. They kept investing more. Now there is more data, whether it is uh, quartile measurement on downloads, whether it is streaming, which, which all, all of the apps do some combination of progressive download and streaming. And the other thing that's come into the market is attribution vendors, charitable, barometric pod sites who we work with, Kantar and Nielsen on the brand studies. And obviously the market is growing faster than almost any other ad market. So we know it's small. We know it's a billion dollars today. We know what the growth potential is and what the history is. And we know the same advertisers keep coming back and spending more. And now we finally have more and more data literally each week to prove what we've known instinctively for 10 years. The, the other reason and why, why Jen is so good at this is if we're disciplined about creative, if we're not just going to take a spot that's running on a Friday night at 3 a.m. on a radio station and, you know, in the middle of a six minute pod of music and, and, and advertisement and throw it in a podcast, we're going to handcraft that creative. That's the other reason we're able to charge premiums and knows it work. And, and I think Pineapple does better ad creative than probably anybody we know. Can you talk a little bit more about what the metrics look like for podcasting? Um, where are CPMs at this point? How do you think about ad loads? Um, anything you could give us around advertising metrics? I would say generally there's, you know, we talked about this when, when we all chatted a couple of months ago. Uh, generally, there's still upward pricing on, upward pressure on pricing, which is great. Again, we're also packaging streaming and podcasting together for those, those advertisers that want to buy audience at scale and others in the market are doing. Uh, we know there's pressure on streaming inventory too. So sort of all digital audio is a, is a bit of a rising lift uh, from a pricing and a sell-through perspective. That said, uh, on an ad load basis, I think we want to be really careful. We want to be really thoughtful because as Jenna said, the, the listener experience is paramount. And so we want to make sure that the right advertisers are in the right shows with the right audience demographic and creative. And we want to make sure that they're getting the space. And since podcasts I would argue are measured maybe even better than what Nielsen would do for TV or radio to a certain degree, uh, because there is direct measurements, not panel-based measurement. And because the methodology is different, uh, it's one-to-one. -one. I, I think we don't have to have the kind of ad experience that broadcast TV, cable TV, and broadcast radio have had. So yeah, there's pressure to increase ad loads. We're doing it in some places, but I think we're trying to be thoughtful about it. Jenna, do you, do you want to talk about um, when you're creating content for brands, sort of, because that's obviously the most valuable part of the business, how y'all are thinking about that? 
Yeah. And we've been thinking about it in a few different ways. So, I mean, we work with a lot of brands that, you know, generally want to be making podcasts and our, we sort of see our job as if we're working with like an HBO or a Netflix, um, we want to basically help them make podcasts that are as good as anything else that they make um, on the, you know, on the TV side. So we're finding that brands are um, are wanting to do are wanting to make more and more of their own kind of original podcasts and their own podcasts that are sort of ancillary content to um, you know some of their TV shows and products. Um, we are also doing a lot of um, we sort of do these documentary style ads that we put within other shows, and those can be super successful because I think obviously you know anyone with a podcast knows that building an audience takes a while and it's not, it's not always a given. And so if you can put great content in an already established podcast with, you know, a huge audience um, that I think can work really well. So we make these, you know, these three to four minute sort of documentary style ads that just feel like a segment of a show. Um, another thing that we've done with brands that's been successful is we'll do like a full episode buyout. So we did something on Lena Dunham's show with Clinique um, where they bought out an episode and Lena was the interviewer and, you know, we worked closely with them to make something that was really interesting and that her audience would love and that their audience would love. So I think that there are a bunch of different ways that, you know, that, that brands are, are working in this kind of podcast and audio space. And, um, you know, I'm excited to sort of figure out even more ways. I think, you know, we've been talking a little bit about like what, what does product placement look like specifically in fiction series? Um, I think that there's, there's a lot of kind of, you know, untapped or starting to be tapped um, places where we can really kind of um, incorporate brands into what we're doing. Yeah. And Jen, Jenna mentioned fiction, you know, on the cadence side of our business, we've announced C13 features. We're going to do three feature linked feature length podcast this year. So single episode, 90 minutes to two hours in partnership with Endeavor content to the point about product placement, you know, not only do they have great derivative potential to be ultimately become films for streaming or, or theatrical, I know you're you're uh, big on theatrical, but they also have a lot of opportunity for for brands to come in in different ways. Um, you know, I, I, before we leave podcasting, though, we should also talk about Podcorn, which was the last acquisition we just did. Podcorn's an entirely different leg of the business for us. You know, Famebit, which the co-founders created and sold to YouTube, which became YouTube Brand Connect. Um, you know, that's really targeting the $15 billion influencer marketplace. And so we think there's a lot of appetite in the influencer marketing marketplace to come to audio, but they haven't been able to buy scale across a number of creators, a hundred or a thousand creators. And now all of a sudden that we can do that, we think, well, if we could pull one point out of the influencer marketplace into podcasting, that's a 10 to 15% lift in podcasting overall. So that's new. We've got over 40,000 creators on the platform. The demand on that platform is big. It's early days. But we think that is potentially opening up a completely new revenue stream from podcasting generally and, and obviously for Odyssey. We're not going to leave podcasting quite yet. We want to hit two of the questions in Q&A. And, and as a reminder to our viewers, um, you can throw your questions into the Q&A. But let's get down to the dollars and cents. Um, presumably, you're monetizing this stuff through ad revenue. What's What does the monetization look like today? Ad, ad uh, revenues per active user spots how high can this go um in terms of of uh on the ad side and then also similarly i guess um how do you measure the this is a question from um karen um how how do you measure the return on the podcast acquisitions and can you return can you give us um some idea what the return or payback look like on some of these uh podcast acquisitions um I'll be I'll be careful what I say here. So, uh, but I would say generally speaking, um, you know, I think we've said publicly we we entered podcasting first through the deal with Cadence, which was early on. We, we bought just under half of the company and then bought the other half of the company. And obviously, with Pineapple, the market's evolved since then. Um, there are some things in the market that still make sense. There are some things in the market that are really frothy today. Um, I think we feel good about how we entered the space and feel really good about our growth potential. You know, Rich, you said earlier, there's synergies in that broadcast business. We've got 800 salespeople or, or, or more across 50 markets, in addition to our national team. And so we're able to package these things in really interesting ways um, and bring these podcast opportunities to new advertisers. Um, 
you know, from a monetization standpoint, obviously we measure uh, CPMs, uh, we measure uh, revenue per thousand downloads is sort of a key metric for us. And then, of course, we do track back to unique listeners. And, and we're also starting to get better, um, as our clients are, about understanding how to acquire audience in podcasting. Of course, we want people to listen on the Odyssey platform. We did the binge windows with My Fugitive and with Stay Away from Matthew McGill, both great shows the Genis team did, uh, highly recommend. Um, but we also distribute those wide. So a new episode comes out every week. And, and you know, this is still a broad reach audience. There's no single platform for podcasting. And that's a good thing. So the measurement is getting better. Um, obviously, the ad returns are continuing to grow. And now we're starting to think more holistically about, you know, what do we want to do from an advertising perspective outside of the 170 million listeners we reach? What do we want to do with paid media? How do we create a sort of performance channel to acquire folks into podcasting that is still profitable on the back end? So we're kind of eating our own dog food, if you will, when we think about acquiring audience for podcasting and, and, and measuring attribution on that. Um, and then I guess the last thing I'll say that's continuing to drive growth in streaming and podcasting we talked about it earlier a little bit, is attribution. There's a lot of new attribution technology, whether it's the prefix in the RSS feed, whether it's actually leaning back to device IDs. And the, the good news is because of the way podcasting works with RSS feeds, so far, we've still been able to do pretty decent attribution, despite what may or may not be coming with you know cookie deprecation and IDFA and all the stuff happening in the data space. So I, I feel just, good about Let me just push you a little bit harder on this one and see if we can okay. get it. Because just to represent anonymous attendee, well, um, they were saying the example is $3.50 an ad supported MAU. How high can that go? Like if you were to think out whatever, five years, like what is that? What is the kind of goal number to get to? Well, anonymous is a good friend, so we can talk offline. But um, uh, look, I would say uh, I, I haven't seen I haven't seen headroom on CPMs here. I think to Brandon's point, really, when it comes down to MAU, it's going to come down to ad load. Um, since there's still plenty of demand, we're going to keep ad loads tight for the listener. We'll expand it where it makes sense, but we're keep I, the entire industry is keeping a close eye on not kind of bastardizing this format like other sort of traditional media formats have done when consolidation happens. So I'm not going to give you a number, but I would say we continue to see headroom in the business, more demand than supply in in the premium side of the business. So, you know, I want to, before we move on to sports in a second, where Brandon will lead us into with Mike, I just want to come back to one of the interesting things that you just did. Uh, you did a podcast deal with Spotify. That was an exclusive show. Uh, and I'm sort of curious, like Jenna, you know, this whole idea of frenemy, like is Spotify friend, they're a distributor, but yet they're doing exclusives. It's not obviously if it's exclusive with Spotify, then it's not available on all the platforms that JD just talked about in terms of wide distribution. How do you balance? Like, I, I guess start off, why are you doing exclusives with Spotify? And then how do you think about how this whole podcast distribution and discovery world is evolving? I mean, I would say that I think that um, we think of ourselves as more kind of a studio model than a, than a network model. Um, and so, you know, we're making content with lots of different places for lots of different places. Um, our deals with Spotify are actually um, that things are usually windowed there for a time and then they go wide so that, you know, our, our brand can get out there. Um, and so it's, it's kind of, you know, good for everyone in the end. Um, but, you know, like I said, I think that we really think about just all the different potential revenue streams in podcasting and we do, you know, some here, some here, some there. Um, so I don't, I don't think that we would necessarily do the majority of our shows with Spotify. Um, but, you know, we sort of have always done shows with lots of different places. So Spotify is one partner we're talking to other partners. I think that we will do the majority of our shows with Odyssey for sure. Um, but again, you know, it's really, it comes down to thinking about revenue from different places and thinking of ourselves as I would say, you know, in a studio model. So at the end of the day, I don't, I know probably no one loves the term, but like arms dealer for content is the way you think of yourselves. And you, you want to make sure the content always ends up on Odyssey. But the point is, is if there's a, an ability to make more money by, you know, working with many partners at the end of the day, that is the way to maximize the revenue trajectory of the, of the studio business. I, I would say Switzerland, you know, we want to have a good relationship with everyone. I don't know about arms dealers, if you can say that, sure. Um, but yeah, I think um, that's exactly it is, you know, we'll do we'll do a little bit with a lot of different places and, and mostly with Odyssey. Going to get into sports in a half second. I just have one more um, question on the podcast front. 
Um, you guys are in a unique position because you have um, old FM radio stations and you have talk radio stations. Is there a way through podcasting to bridge the music world and the talk world um, together? Yeah. You, Jenna or JD. <laughs> well, uh, I'll say from a business perspective, obviously on the radio side, you know, our, our some of our biggest talk assets are actually on our music station. So, you know, those shows, like I said earlier, kind of like late night show models that also happen to have music in the middle of them. Those shows have, have uh, been powerful. And I think we want to do more of that. The rights landscape is changing. Obviously, we've done some deals. Others are doing deals. And, and there's a lot of interest from artists. As you know, formerly Intercom and now Odyssey has worked with artists really deeply uh, for years. Artists love being on the radio. Airplay is critically important to their business. We also do a lot of events business with them. So there's a lot of interest here. I think we're trying to be smart and make sure that we can all make money and also make good content. Um, so, so that's from a business perspective, but Jenna can probably answer better creatively. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's definitely a lot of great, you know, music podcast content that can be done. Um, we're trying to do more and more of that. And I mean, this is getting a little bit off of what you're asking, but I think thing that we're thinking about a lot is kind of how can radio and podcasts really work together and talk to each other. And that was an exciting part of, um, of the sort of acquisition for us was just thinking about, you know, how can we market our shows on radio? I think like when podcasts first were becoming a thing, a lot of radio stations, I'm thinking specifically about public radio, were kind of threatened by them. And, you know, it was like this shiny new toy. And I think I've always thought there's nothing threatening about these. These are two similar mediums that should really be working together. You know, radio is still super massive. I think it's 96% of Americans listen to radio. So um, we're always trying to think about how, how these two things can really work together from a content perspective, a marketing perspective, all of that. And certainly making more music content um, is, is a big part of that. Brandon, you, know, you should I'll, check, I'll, you should check oh, out Long sorry. May They Run from our Cadence Division. We did Fish last year and we've got a second season coming up this year and a third season in the works. So there's, there's some stuff bubbling here too. I, I know Absolutely. it well. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to recommend that one as my podcast. But, you know, Brandon, to your point about, you know, if you go back to the broadcast business and the impact that live reads have when, when personalities are talking about a product or talking about a brand or talking about a service, those land well. We see, we see real return on investment when advertising happens there. And it's, it's like on steroids and podcasting, you know, it's the same thing. And these are people, these podcasts in particular are a daily habit for people. They're, they're, they're shows and events that people build their lives around and binge watch. So when these people that they trust, that they rely on, that they listen to are endorsing a brand or endorsing a message, we're seeing that it really lands and resonates well. Of course, it has to work with the, as Jenna was giving the Clinique example, it has to work with the audience. It has to work with the personality. It has to, the brand has to have that synergy. But when it does, it's, it's powerful. All right, time to get to sports. Are you ready, Mike? Unmute. Ready to go. This is <laughs> oh, yeah. captivating okay. to watch. <laughs> so two, two of the three of us, um, at Lightshed have sports in in the background and we grew up kind of on sports radio, but you've been accumulating a lot of sports rights lately. Um, can you just tell the audience why that's the case and how you think about keeping those rights as sports betting ramps and it may become a little more competitive? Yeah, for sure. And first of all, that backdrop, it's nice to be on the uh, Mike Brandon and the Mad Dog show here. Um, <laughs> It's, it was always a dream. I never could get through. <laughs> if you were in black and white, you would fit right in with that backdrop there. Anyway, I just, yeah, just want to be a regular guest pop. on uh, Angelo's thing. Walt from New York talking about how the Giants fans are upset about their latest loss or something like that. Can we make that happen? <laughs> how are you on the Eagles fight song? You, you have that down? Oh, yes, to a T. <laughs> Anyway, Brandon, yeah, look, at, at the you know core of our, our massive scale that we have on the broadcast dial is, you know, our, our local personalities and the connection that they have with their audience. And then play-by-play -play rights, we're the play-by-play -play home, flagship home of over 40 professional teams across the spectrum of the leagues. And, you know, including nearly half of Major League Baseball and half of the NFL. So 
It's a big, big part of our business. Uh, it authenticates, you know, in many ways, the connection that we have. We are the voice of the team with the fan and the voice of the fan with the team. And, um, you know, lately we've added to, to your point in the last year um, in the NFL, the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Lions. Um, in Major League Baseball, we just re-upped on deals with the Red Sox and the Cubs. Uh, long-term arrangements and of course in the New York area are the home of both the Yankees and the Mets. So uh, we are immersed in it and we think it's a fundamental core part of our strategy. You know, the price of poker is, you know, changing, you know, there's a more digital listening and the leagues have come around now to providing uh, at least in, in home market areas, uh, digital rights uh, to the teams to pass along to their flagship rights holders and, um, we, you know, we'll continue to compete for these rights where it makes sense. And I think, you know, in addition to being an outstanding squawk box, if you will, for the team's uh, game action, you know, more importantly is the ancillary content around the play-by-play and being able to have, you know, in Kansas City, as an example, we, we were able to get the team to commit to a Patrick Mahomes podcast uh, every Monday uh, during the regular season. And it's really a first time both the local and the national fan base hear from him after a game. And it's less about why did you miss Travis Kelsey on that 15 yard out pattern in the third period and more about, Hey, when you got home last night, were you tired? What'd you have for dinner? You know, sort of the other side of that personality, which you can't really get in a press conference setting. So um, we think it's a big, big part of what we do and we'll continue to be uh, very committed to expanding that roster of teams. You know, we had a good light shed live with Brian Rolap of the NFL talking about media rights. Um, and part of the, what they, you know, years ago when we met with them, they wouldn't, um, they wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have trusted, I guess, um, the new digital distribution strategy. Now, obviously they fully trust it. And one of the things that was interesting is you're going to be able to pick your audio and games and they know that's happening. And, you know, I've got my issues with Joe Buck. I would love to have Merrill, Le- Merrill Reese and listen to him for all my games have those discussions began and in, 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 uh, begun in terms of um, layering on the talent that you guys have to for um, the viewers to listen to these games? Because it it's, seems like it's definitely coming for the NFL. Yeah, not in a formal way at the league level, although we would welcome that. I think uh, anecdotally, I know there's a lot of organic examples of that where people will actually set their DVR to be exactly synchronized with the, uh, with the audio, the local audio. hundred percent that happens if you're in market, but it's not easy. Obviously the NFL is going to make it a lot easier for you just to, I mean, you could do this with MLB, right? I can pick the home or away audio for my, for my, uh, for my game. So. Yeah, you you can. And, and, And to your point, I think that we're seeing the tip of the iceberg, you know, this is about somebody said it earlier, giving uh, consumers in our audience more choices to easily consume and consume what they want when they want it. And I think play by play certainly fits within that objective as well. And, you know, look, there's a lots there's a lots of variety today. You know, the NFL, to their credit, got a, a, a lot of positive press, as they should have with the Nickelodeon alternative feed uh, of NFL playoff games this year. You know, we're looking at alternative feeds for sports betting enthusiasts and other creative ways to make uh, the broadcast, not just the core broadcast, but the overall palette of ways fans can uh, consume the game more entertaining and appealing for all. Maybe you could just help us understand, like when you see things like, man, I know like sort of originally Sirius had a lot of out of market rights that they could do over uh, on the Internet. Now, and then TuneIn bought some of those rights sort of like the competitive landscape, like who has what when you think about sports audio. So you want, Walt wants to listen to the Eagles. How is that sliced and diced? And where is the competitive, what's happening competitively there? And like, how does Odyssey, you know, obviously you've had a a tremendous run over the last year in terms of your stock and performance, et cetera. But like, there's obviously a lot of much larger well-capitalized companies, how do you make sure that you continue to own all of these rights that you're talking about? Yeah, it's a great question and timely, I might add. Um, we, we are engaged all the time with uh, all the leagues on these kinds of matters. I think generally speaking, as it relates to digital rights, teams have their digital rights within their home DMA or their home designated marketing footprint. And then the leagues retain those rights, which you know more commonly known as outer market rights. And um, you're right, Sirius is a major player across all the leagues uh, for those rights. 
um, currently tune in, had some of those rights. And, and I think the, the, the landscape with them has changed in the last year. So there are opportunities to pursue those. You know, and, and to your point, I think we anticipate that there's going to be more competition for these. You know, live sports content is uh, still one of the most appealing, uh, whether it be video or audio um, uh, pieces of content that is available. And for us, I think it has to be strategic. Like for, for us just to stream play by play without being able to um, expand around some of the ancillary content that I gave an example of on a local level in Kansas City a minute ago. I think we look at it more as a overall content partnership. So as an example, we may be more interested in a relationship with the league where we could get those outer market streaming rights. We could get podcast rights. We might be able to get rights to sports betting content that the league is engaged with, with their sports betting partners. So, you know, more of a 360 approach to it is I think what makes it uh, economically and fiscally uh, sound for us to examine those. Isn't that synergistic? I mean, if you had the, the broadcast rights, you can say like, hey, you know, don't forget, we're going to talk about what Pat Mahomes had for dinner last night on, you know, on the content there. I mean, it seems like it's an obvious synergy it, there. It, absolutely. Is the league selling the rights separately? Meaning, do you envision that if you have the local over the air terrestrial radio rights, that the digital rights are going to be packaged together and kind of, or do you think they'll ultimately be separated? Obviously we've seen lots of different things sort of play out in video, but I'd be curious sort of your view on that. And then from a sports betting standpoint, like you've gotten into analytics and other things in sports betting, maybe just walk us through for a minute, Mike, sort of the sports betting ecosystem that you all are. I mean, there's clearly a bigger game plan. Maybe just give us what is the Mike D vision for where sports and sports betting for Odyssey goes. Gotcha. Well, let me start with the first one. As the largest uh, uh, owner of local team rights, we are certainly a huge advocate and a proponent for keeping the digital rights, at least locally within that home footprint, connected to the broadcast flagship rights. Uh, it is difficult to think as we move forward and the audience migrates further to digital and there's a balance of broadcast and digital listening within a home market that you could separate those two and still give teams the ability to monetize their flagship broadcast rights the way it's been done in the past. So we're, we're hopeful and optimistic, frankly. I think the leagues get that. You know, The local uh, radio relationship, if you will, needs to be a part of the clubs, not just their broadcast, but marketing objectives uh, in any given year. Um, longer term, I think you know, outer market rights are going to be subject to competitive bidding. And I, I know from a strategic point of view, we're going to be at the table for those and uh, want to be an active player. And to the earlier point, I think Walt raised it. Once you've got the local rights, it makes perfect sense. And the, the synergies in, in pursuing those national rights are, are pretty, pretty evident. Um, I'll transition to sports betting. So um, as we sit here today, we're, we're about a month shy of the third anniversary of a, a date that lives in infamy in sports media history, which is uh, May 14, 2018, when the Supreme Court uh, reversed an earlier decision on behalf of the state of New Jersey and gave the rights to states to legalize sports betting. And um, the world in, in, in sports media hasn't been quite the same since. I think the avalanche that has happened since then um, has even uh, outpaced those who were most bullish at the time in terms of the impact and the uh, competition and, and the content that has uh, that has been created in the three years since. You know, for us, it really started um, more around legacy content, you know, uh, less around uh, Jenna and kind of the new age uh, digital podcast content. But, you know, our relationship that we mentioned that our local personalities have with their listeners was highly desirable for sports betting advertisers and, you know, better to be lucky than good. The first state that went legal, of course, was New Jersey. And we're sitting on each side of the state with the two largest sports stations in our portfolio being WFAN and WIP. Uh, and we're able to capitalize on that immediately with a lot of endorsement opportunities. Uh, the trust that those personalities have with their listeners was, again, highly appealing. And I think most of the sports betting operators recognize that, you know, a lot of casual sports fans were not yet sports bettors. There was a barrier to entry. You know, if somebody was using a bookie, they might not be prone to be comfortable uh, betting or if they were, you know, even using an offshore account. So all of a sudden, you know, it became a, a legal, more comfortable environment. And when an Angelo Cataldi or Boomer Esiason said, you know, I'm on team FanDuel in the case of Boomer, 
you know, that really resonated with his listeners and enabled us to, to really drive a lot of um, subscribership and activity uh, for those sports betting houses. We took a very methodical approach. Um, you know, the way in radio has been very decentralized. We're, you know, market by market, um, you know, our sales teams would sell uh, these big categories. This was a completely different flavor of ice cream for us. We took a national strategic approach really wanted to flex our newfound scale post-CBS merger and aggregate these rights in a thoughtful way with the goal of longer term creating partnerships, key partnerships with major players. So for the first you know, two years or so, we were somewhat ubiquitous, selling advertising to everybody, getting to know everybody. And late last year, we announced um, the largest deal in the history, we believe, in the history of audio. Uh, with FanDuel, uh, who is the official uh, sportsbook partner of Odyssey, which gives them uh, rights and benefits and priority over other sportsbook operators. It's a non-exclusive relationship, so we were able to follow that up with a very significant relationship uh, with BetMGM, which we announced about a month ago as a uh, national preferred partner. And we also have a, a very significant national preferred partnership with uh, with Bet Rivers. So. From an advertising standpoint, it's not just about buying ads. It's about local endorsement. It's about us creating custom content and kind of a multi-platform approach, both broadcast and digital. And now, simultaneously, in the fourth quarter of last year, the acquisition of the QL Gaming Group, which was a direct-to-consumer uh, app, you know, making better betters, if you will, a uh, editorial and uh, analytics platform to help uh, better inform betters about making the right decisions, we're able to offer now kind of a full comprehensive solution for these sports betting partners, which uh, I think we have a very unique uh, proposition. And I think the results that we've seen in these partnerships speaks for the speaks for that. So why did you need to own um, BetQL? Is that, you know, can you share any updated perspective on the current subs, what your growth expectations are? Um, or how that outlook for the business changed in 21 relative to when you bought it? Yeah, we've been uh, poking around the direct-to-consumer space on a number of different fronts, which JD can speak to sort of in a macro sense. But, you know, in sports betting, uh, we had a relationship previously with the Action Network uh, where we had a partnership and have a, a small uh, investment in, in, in that entity. Uh, we had looked to, you know, probably take a deeper step uh, Pre-COVID, when COVID hit, we took a pause, but quickly, in our mind, it became apparent that to really be in this space, uh, to live it and breathe it, you had to engage directly with consumers. Um, we like the affiliate business and being able to provide leads uh, to sportsbook operators and be paid on those activations. And we like the subscription business, which we think ties in well with our ability to promote across our broadcast and digital spectrum of content. So. Uh, our our uh, subgrowth in the six months since we've uh, purchased BeckQL is off the charts. Um, you know, triple digit increases uh, with only a modest amount uh, at this point of on-air promotion. I mean, I think we've probably opened the pipes halfway on what we're eventually going to do, and you'll see more of that on display as we get closer to the NFL season and some uh, redesign changes that it we was have the to triple digit. Beck is that like a COVID-induced thing, or or do you think that's you know, those are the type of growth rates to look at going forward. Look, I think, you know, we started with a small base. BetQL was a, a young company. And I think, you know, we're yep. able to move the needle pretty quickly. I think longer term, I think, you know, we expect the subs to be formidable and, and be on par with others in the space. I think the competition for sports betting content isn't necessarily the Action Network and other sports betting editorial sites. It's more of the sportsbook operators you saw DraftKings in the last two weeks by uh, VEASAN. Uh, I think you'll see more of that happen as sportsbook operators dig deeper into content. So, you know, we, we want to be both a resource and to encourage betting uh, and to be able to uh, provide information so people don't have a bad experience uh, in, in their betting and the course of betting. You have two peak times of the year, really, in the NFL season and March Madness and a lot of uh, smooth time in between those. But you know, I think what we've seen early on with BeckQL is that we can move the needle. Uh, we're thrilled with the acquisition. And we think, again, they provide for us a story to tell of the marketplace that is uh, transcends us beyond just being a purveyor of, uh, of advertising sales. 
All right. I want to shift topics one more time, um, because if you listen to the Light Shed podcast, probably the most debated thing over the last several months has been Clubhouse, um, what live audio um, means and who the winners are going to be. So this is going to be a very broad question, but want to throw it out to all of you guys. Um, is is the clubhouse format here to stay? Do you think it will do well as a standalone app? And how do you think about the competitors in the space? Locker Room, which was just bought by Spotify, Twitter Spaces, um, and what's happening maybe at, at Facebook and others? I, I can start and then my friends can jump in. Um, so you've had the debate, is it a feature or a product? Uh, I may be wrong, but I come down on the feature side of that. Um, and again, I think the, all the companies you mentioned sort of play that out. Um, we know a little something about live audio, been doing it for 100 years. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you, both Walt and Brandon uh, grew up with our sports stations. And it's not just talking, as Mike said, about the game. It's really that interactivity. It's the folks calling in. It's singing the fight song. It's yelling at the hosts. And so what are the successful elements of the show? You've got the host or co-hosts, you've got the callers and you've got the audience. And when you use a clubhouse or a locker room or some of the others, you typically have the host or co-host, you have the callers yep. and you have the audience. The one thing you have on radio or in podcasts that you don't have right now in a clubhouse or a locker room or others is a producer. And I think when you think about what really differentiates these platforms, it's one thing if you know Rich and I want to talk to each other uh, or, or some of us want to have a private conversation. And by the way, there's a few places to do that. But when you think about creating content, content really is a differentiator. Everybody's going to have every podcast. Everybody's going to have all the you know, 30 million songs. Everybody's going to have this functionality. It's how can you use the functionality to make great content? So how do we think about that? You know, I talked earlier about letting creators potentially go live inside the app. We do that now with some of Mike's sports betting content, where some of the guys you know, around basketball, we're doing live things in the app. We do it with partners who go live who aren't broadcast or podcast. And we'll do more of that. And then you start to think about the playback experience of a radio show. There's a lot of that kind of functionality that could obviously be integrated into the way that you consume that show on the app. Whereas on the broadcast, it's linear, but on the app, you could call in from the app, right? There's all sorts of other ways to pay that off. So well, yes, the obviously funny, we- the, the funny thing about, you know, Brandon's got Mike and the Mad Dog, which was a call-in live yes. show where the audience called in. In in 2021 terms, that's Clubhouse, right? right. I mean, that's essentially, yes, could you except except rather than having Mike and the Mad Dog, they have garbage hosts at the top that are promoting whatever <laughs> you know latest snake oil thing that they're selling on Clubhouse. That's the difference. Oh. So I don't even understand. Like if you guys have the the hosts right that are that are yep. solid, that are proven, that know how to manage these things and promote people up. Like oh, why wouldn't I mean you you could just do your own Clubhouse? The question then is like okay, if you've got these great hosts at Angelo or whoever. And you can always have good content. So I go on Clubhouse now and it's all garbage. You can go and have good content. You can build other content around that. Like, yes. how is that? Does there need to be a destination, though? A singular, single purpose destination where you would house all of that type of content? So if, there, if somebody is thinking about the live audio format, there's, it's not one scattered place. They, they go, they could find what they're looking for and their serendipity in what else. Um, is hanging around. You know, Mike, Mike said something really interesting earlier about rights and how the league, and you guys have talked about it a lot, how the league splinters and spiders rights and different pieces go everywhere. And Walt, well, you said, I just want to watch the game, but listen to Merrill Reese. Consumers want things really simple. And so I don't think, Brandon, there has to be one Uber app for live audio, because by the way, there's a lot of places to get live audio, just like live video and on-demand video. But I think the feature set has to be simple and compelling. Listeners, I don't think, think about this is a radio show. This is a podcast. This is a clip from a show that happened yesterday versus this morning. This is a, a live chat. Audio inside audio. The app, right? They just want to listen to great content. And it's our job on the product side to make that really compelling to do if you want to lean in and really easy to do if you want to lean back. Uh, and they want to get it on whatever device they want it. So we have to give choice. But no, I don't think there's a, a killer audio app because, you know, again, there's live audio everywhere. But in defense today. of Brandon's purpose-driven, I'm, I can't believe I'm going on to this side, but like if I'm in the app and I'm listening to Angelo, Discussion. I can start flipping through and and my dis you have a more of a control of my discovery and that serendipity that Brandon refers to and finding other of your content. So that would argue for, you know, that type of experience. Like a, a purpose driven as opposed to feature. 
we will have we will have more live more and more live audio in the app. But we just announced some stuff with some of our big co-hosts, you know, Boomer Sice and Big Tigger in Atlanta. We'll be doing more and more uh, of content with our host that is over the top, if you will, or, or for the platform, direct consumer. Uh, obviously, you know, don't know what Spotify is going to do with Locker Room, but one would imagine there there's sort of so play there Twitter Spaces, right? Like each one of these will have places where you can get the live audio. Here's what we know how to do is make, I would argue, the best audio content, both live and on demand in the market today. Others would argue that, but I think we're definitely, if not at the top, among the top. And we just want to make great, you know, we'll bring great features to pay that content off. But at the end of the day, the listeners want to get straight to the content and just listen and be engaged and entertained. So one of the questions that I think, you know, we've used up an hour of your time, and we're going to try to wrap this up quickly, but there's a question that came in um, from Evan that I think is a really important question. Um, especially given the how we started out with Jenna talking about Spotify and some of these other platforms with Paul, et cetera, and, and JD, you talking about radio.com now, odyssey.com. Is there a subscription business model here? Uh, I mean, do, do you think over time that there are other ways that you'll make money? Um, and, you know, as you think about all of the content, like, does it all have to be advertising driven? Obviously, some of the platforms you use, you know, allow you to buy out of advertising. Um, we've seen things like Wondery do, you know, sort of a Wondery Pro product where, you know, you could have sort of a deeper dive, sort of like just the way you were talking about odyssey.com. How do you think about sort of the subscription end of the business? I don't even know who should take that among the four of you. You probably each have views on it, but like, where does subscription sort of fall into this? So you would imagine we're thinking about it and you're, you're right to ask the question. Premature to talk more specifically. Obviously, we're now in the subscription business with BetQL. We've learned a lot through the acquisition of that asset over the last couple of months. That sort of DNA, of course, is really important to us as a company. Um, we do believe in ad-supported audio. I mean, broadcast radio, which is ad-supported, is still the largest listenership media for a reason. And all of our research says there's a massive TAM out there that wants free audio and is willing to support ads if they don't suck. And that's what why well, I, I, look I, and look, I, I think, you know, I've, I I always go back to Cheryl at Facebook. I think, you know, when she talks about that holy grail, like is when the advertising, when you look at Instagram, right, like nobody complains. I know Walt doesn't buy anything on Instagram because he hates the ads, but most people <laughs> love the ads on Instagram. They buy stuff on it because and the content, they certainly don't mind the ad load because the content is really good and additive. The, the ads become content. And that's that holy grail she always talks about. It sounds like that's what Jenna's done really well. Obviously, that's not the way most people think of terrestrial radio. I assume, you know, in order to not offer ads, you have to, or sorry, not offer subscription in some form, your ads have to get a lot better across the entire company. And I'm not being, I'm just saying that's sort of just the reality of sort of the evolution of the ad business. Yeah. And it's not just our company, but it's the market writ no. large, right? As, as investments coming into audio, the, the audio creative has always been the tail wagging the dog. It's different than Instagram and commerce. It's been a little bit different than video. We're seeing that improve. We're helping, uh, other, obviously, advertisers create ads. So we believe in the ad business and we'll always have a big part. But but obviously, we're thinking long and hard about the other businesses. You know, On WFAN Live, what would you cover those ads with? So, so that's a question that you have to solve. Um, that said, in replay windows and some of the music opportunities. So yeah, I, I would say... There are opportunities for us here, just a little premature talk about what they are. But of course, we're thinking about everything. Paul, maybe just to wrap us up from, a, 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 you know, the company's been very acquisitive over the last several years. I assume we should expect that to continue, that there's still like this story is not is not, you know, sealed and, and set. There's a lot more to come in terms of continuing to shift the direction as you sort of live up to your new name. Absolutely. It's, it's, you know, we put this promise in the market. It's about delivering on, on it every day. And this was not meant to be the end chapter in a story of transformation. This was a moment in time and an accelerant to this next, uh, this next chapter. We're, 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 we remain uh, absolutely focused on the future of audio and, and all of the things that Jenna, Mike, and JD have, have absolutely talked about um, and going full force into it. So yeah, more innovation to come. Please keep watching. All right, so listening. let's uh, listening <laughs> exactly, <Yeah>. experiencing. Um, <laughs> exactly. Let's, let's end on a uh, you know everyone. Let's go around the horn and everyone get everyone's favorite podcast that they should be adding that they're listening to now. Let's start with uh, especially because because podcast discovery is still a little broken, <laughs> so we've got to help everybody. All right, let's start with Jenna, and then you can pick amongst your uh, large group of assets. 
<laughs> oh, so we're talking about some of the shows that we make. Well, um, you could pick. No, you no. can pick whatever you want. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, there's actually one that is um, repped by Cadence that I really love called Who Weekly um, that is on twice a week. And it's a kind of like wacky celebrity gossip show that I highly recommend. So I've um, been listening for years and I love it. All right, Brandon, you want to go next? I said it before, all the ones oh. that we're invested in, right? We love all we love all our children the same. Oh, that's a horrible answer. No, that's horrible. That's horrible. Like I'm gonna say like the undermine podcast, which is a fish podcast, and then everyone's gonna make fun of me. So, you know. I, I'm now I'm now obsessed with Smartless, which is Jason Bateman, Sean Hayes, and Will Arnett. I didn't even know it existed until recently, and now I can't stop listening to it because having three actual Hollywood people talking with other Hollywood people is just a fascinating sort of insider look into into the business. Mike D, what do you got? So I will venture outside of sports and say that I just binged on my fugitive uh, Pineapple Streets, uh, one of their latest and greatest. And if you haven't checked it out, it's uh, riveting and captivating. So uh, nice going, Jenna. Thank you. Okay, J Day. Last time I was on with you guys, I picked one of ours and you kind of gave me crap for it. Uh, yes, we did. True. We did. I'm with Rich on Smartless, uh, but since you already said that, uh, I'm really impressed with uh, the Improvement Association that New York Times and Serial have done a couple episodes out. It's been really good. I haven't even heard of that. That's gonna that's going into my deck tonight. I think Paul, there's one Paul. person who hasn't asked. Yeah. Well, I was I was gonna. I was Paul's gonna stressing right now. He's really no, sweating I'm right not. now. No, I'm not. I was gonna tee up Longman. They run for Brandon. I'm a. You know, <laughs> I do like fish too. They're not quite as good as the Grateful Dead, but they're 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 close. But uh, I will tell you, I have been listening because we're actually producing some content around it now. Wind of change for the conspiracy theorists out there. Um, Max and Jenna and the Pineapple Street team created that, um, associating a song with the takedown of the Berlin Wall. It is, it is. if you're a conspiracy theorist, it's about as good as it gets. And <laughs> the voice and the storytelling, it's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's worth diving into it. Well, for me, I, I listen to this every night. It's Angelo Cataldi. I, you need to segment that <laughs> podcast even more. It I is hear you. Far, my Mike, favorite. we got to get him on air. We got to get, we got to, by gotta the way, like, it is my favorite. I mean, every night I listen to Angela, but but for the one that for those that don't care about the Eagles, I'm sure there's many people. Um, Peter Kafka from Recode Media does it um, irregularly, but really does an amazing job with his interviews. Really asks the tough questions and and gets very interesting guests. So Peter Kafka uh, at Recode Media. And I should give a shout out as soon as I hang up with you guys. I'm actually jumping on to a podcast. I'm jumping and doing, uh, I'm guest hosting the creator upload podcast to talk about the creator economy. So, um, podcasts are everywhere. Uh, I just wanted to thank all four of you, Paul, Jenna, JD, Mike, thank you for making time for Light Show Live. We'd love to have you. We'll have you back. Uh, well, hopefully there'll be lots more to talk about if you need to grow the story. And, um, and, this, and this will be re-released on a podcast for those of you that want to listen to one podcast. They'll miss our sweatshirts. Thanks, everybody. Bye.